we are finishing up our series this week on the prayers of Jesus. And that series has really been, in my mind, it's, it's been meaningful for me to be able to teach a lot of them. Um, Jimmy's taught a couple as well. Um, but the idea behind that was Jesus prayed. Uh, we hear him going off to pray often. And there's only a few instances where we actually get to hear his actual words. So the first couple of weeks we talked about John 17 and, and Jesus' high priestly prayer. And he prayed uh, as one of the main takeaways for unity in the church. He also challenges the disciples uh, in many different aspects of their lives. And then uh, this, the last couple of weeks we spent looking at the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6 in particular. And uh, it's a, a meaningful prayer because our, de- our desire, what we want, is for our longings to match the things that Jesus longs for. So we, we, we are caught up in the world. We all have desires. We have longings. We all have expectations and things that we desire to happen in our lives. And if, if Jesus really is the Messiah, if Jesus really is Lord, we should want the things that Jesus wants. We should desire, begin to desire and long for the things that Jesus uh, uh, would want us to by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, In particular, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, as I said, the last couple weeks. And so this week, instead of having someone read it, I thought it would be neat for us all to say it together. You know, this is a a prayer that is a corporate prayer. That's why it says are and and we throughout. Um, And so if you would, you don't have to stand, but we'll we'll say it together uh, this morning as it's traditionally said. So if you read it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So that last line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you are reading the King James Version, it will be in there. Or a new King James Version, it will be in there. If you're reading the NIV or ESV or NLT, you won't see that line in there. And, and the thought is, is that that in the earliest manuscripts is not there. But later on, this was a, a prayer that was said in the church. And they wanted to kind of give a benediction to their, or an ending to the prayer so that it made sense, like a summary of the prayer. So today we're going to focus on the summary of the prayer to remind us kind of all that we've studied the last seven or eight weeks. And this isn't something that you could say, well, this isn't the word of God, but it, but it is. That's the thing that's amazing. Because I read to you to start the service today, 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. And the lines in that passage are almost exactly the ones that are said at the end of this prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in Daniel 2 says something very similar to this line as well. This is what he says in Daniel 2, verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. Isn't that interesting? It's almost the exact word-for-word phrase. And so most people believe that the early church took, drew upon these statements about God in order to summarize what Jesus was saying. So I started thinking about that passage and we talked a bit about the kingdom and we talked about power a little bit throughout this passage, but we haven't really talked about glory. What does it mean to pray for the glory of God, for God to receive the glory? We throw around that term a lot. 
right? I mean, I remember early on in my Christian faith, people would say, you're supposed to live for the glory of God. What on earth does it mean to live for the glory of God? Strange sometimes because we just use these words, right? But what is the glory of God? What does it mean to pray uh, for God's glory or to live for God's glory? So we don't often define it. And today I would like to try to define it. And I do think it's a little bit complicated because when you read the attributes of God in the scriptures, you don't often see glory there. You'll see God is wise or God is all-knowing or God is all-powerful or God is, uh, is just or God is good or God is loving. And we can kind of get our minds around these things because we know what it means to love somebody, most of us. We know what it means for, uh, to be good. We know what it means to, to have knowledge. We know what it means to have power. But the glory is, is, is a phrase that's used constantly in the Bible and not always easily defined. So what do we mean by glory? And if we're going to live for God's glory and if we're going to worship God because of his glory, this seems like an important aspect of being the disciple of Jesus. And so I'm going to take a stab of drawing from a, a number of different sources. Um, but I would say this. God's glory is the infinite, indescribable perfection of all the other attributes combined. It's essentially God's attributes, his wisdom, his goodness, his love, his holiness, his uh, all the good things about God on display for all of us to see in the world. Today, I'd like to highlight three ways in which I think the glory is most profoundly seen uh, throughout the scriptures and in our, and it can be in our world even today as we think about God. And the first is this idea of the glory being the splendor of God. This is how it's used a lot in the scriptures, the splendor of God. I love that word. It's the beauty, it's the delight, it's the wonder of what God has made and what God has done. It's the beauty all around us. It's kind of how Paul writes in Romans 1, how you can look at the world, you can look at the universe, and you can see that there is a design behind it. There's there's a a God behind this. Uh, Sarah and I uh, recently celebrated 15 years of marriage, uh, which, yeah, thank you, thank you, yeah. I keep, I think it's a big deal, and she kind of always says, why do you keep saying that? Like, no one, no one, who cares? And I was like, well, I think it's cool, it's 15 years, 15 years. So we went on a trip to uh, uh, Utah, and I'd never been to Utah before. A lot of white people in Utah. <laughs> it's a lot different than uptown. Uh, anyways, I fit right in. I'm, you know, I'm like, so. On our last day there, we decided that we were going to climb a mountain. Not the whole mountain, but, you know, we were going to try to peak an 11,000-foot mountain. So it was a, a few thousand feet up, and it took us four hours one way, four hours back. Yeah, we weren't messing around, Derek. <laughs> and 
for four hours, we walked by the most incredible scenes that you can possibly imagine. We saw, I mean, I'm not joking, wildflowers, like hundreds of different kinds of wildflowers all through the valleys. We saw streams and we saw lakes and we saw cliffs and we saw forests and we saw peaks of mountains. And as we got to the top of the peak, you could, all you could see was this massive lake to the right and then mountain range after mountain range after mountain range in the distance. And it's hard not to look at that and, and just see the splendor of the creator, is it not? And kids see this too. We were um, at the, the beach one time and there was a, a magnificent sunset. And Maze is all of a sudden really into taking pictures. And he's like, can I take pictures with your phone? And he's just taking picture after picture after picture. And we have hundreds of pictures of this one sunset on our phone. because, But you could see it in his eyes. He's like, this is incredible. And just in the United States alone, we have rivers and mountains and fall and spring and winter and summer. We have forests and valleys and and lakes and we have sunsets and waterfalls and we have farmland and oceans and sunsets and sunrises. And not to be corny, but it's pretty cool. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. That God has created this world and it, and it just shows off his splendor. And the beauty can draw us in to understand the glory of God. And then when we start to just expand our minds a little bit and think about how the earth is just one of a few planets around us. And that the sun that, that keeps us alive is 93 million miles away. But yet in that sun, you could fit 1.3 billion or million earths inside of it. And then you realize that that sun is just like a tiny sun, a tiny star in the galaxy. It's just one of at least 100 billion stars in just the Milky Way alone. And then they start saying how the galaxy is like expanding. It just keeps growing and it's bigger and there's other ones. We don't even know beyond our galaxy really what is out there. And then you can see, so you start thinking about huge things like that. And then you start thinking about small things like, I've never successfully done this, but like to grow your own food. Isn't that like a miracle? How cool it is? We've failed a lot of times doing this. But my, my grandfather owned his, owned, had an incredible garden and, and, and he would, and you just watch these, these uh, the, the, you know, the vegetables grow and you'd watch the food grow. It's incredible. My, my um, sister uh, has five children and she just, one of the, her things that she talks about all the time is just like the miracle of having a child and just watching it grow and how it just, just declares like the splendor and the beauty and the goodness of God and those small things like that. So the first thing I think we see in the scriptures is this declaration of God saying that his creation is good, that we see people taking in the uh, the beauty and wonder of what God has made. The second aspect of God's glory that we see come up over and over again in the scriptures is God's holiness, which is tied to most specifically God's presence. The beginning of the prayer, it says, hallowed be the name of God. It means like set apart. It means um, holy. 
And I, I love reading the encounters of people in the Bible who like encounter God. And there's all sorts of signs of the glory of God. We have example of example of this. So a lot of times they use the word the Shekinah glory of God. It just means like the, the real presence of God in the world. And so we see this at Moses in the burning bush, right? Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. It's the glory of God. The presence of God is there. We see the glory of God in the, in the exodus, right, that leads the people by cloud by day and the fire by night. We see it later as the presence that sits. It says the language is that it like literally sits on the tabernacle. And then ultimately in the holies of holies in, in the temple. And then we see even more significant moments where people somehow have this like almost face-to-face -face encounter with God or vision of God. And we see their responses and, 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 and all the time is, there's this equation between God's holiness and his presence and his glory. And so we look at Moses in Exodus 33. I love this passage. It talks about Moses encountering God and, and God promises his presence. And Moses says, I don't want to do anything without your presence, God. And then he says something. He says, I want to see your glory glory. Show me your glory, God. And God says, well, you can't really see it. What you need to do is you need to hide in this rock, cover your face, and then I'll tell you when you can open your eyes. And it was so profound and so incredible that as God's glory passes by, and, and the language is kind of like he sees God's backside or he sees God's where God just was, is maybe even a better way to put it. Moses his face, it, it, it like lights up. It's too glorious. He almost, he has to veil his face as he comes down the mountain because <laughs> the, the people couldn't take it, essentially. They couldn't take the radiance of the glory of God on the face of Moses. You see how many like layers that is? It's like, okay, he didn't even see God. He saw where God was. And now his face is so glorious that no one can even look at Moses' face. We see Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 of the Lord. Now all the, the, the angels around, around God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah's only response to the glory of God was to recognize that he and his people are people of unclean lips because they have seen the king. You know, I, I, sometimes like the holiness of God gets beat over our heads and it can make us feel a lot of like shame uh, where it's just like, you're terrible, you're awful, you're horrible. You know, it's just like God's holy, you know, and it's like, okay. Ew. Like, you know, like after a while, it's like, okay, I heard it. I know, I believe it. I don't, I don't like see these encounters necessarily happening in the exact same way. It's like they're just in, like, there's such an awe and there's such a, 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 a the, God is so incredible and so good and so righteous and so just and so loving and so, you know, powerful that when they encounter God, it's like nothing they can do but just like, like bow down and worship. Nothing they can do but see how they're not that way at all. <laughs> that they're other than this being that they're with. That they're not the same. That their thoughts and their ways and the way they go about going their lives is not the same way that God does.
John, in Revelation, the first chapter, encounters the throne room of God. And when he saw God, it says he falls to his feet as though dead. He's struck down by the presence and the glory of God. Some of you have, you know, uh, been slain by the Spirit, right? No, I don't know. Like, sometimes it feels like you're getting pushed down, right? But this was like a literal, like, striking down, right? They couldn't, he couldn't be in the presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God, the, the holiness of God in God's presence. We see this over and over again as the, the declaration of God's glory. Ezekiel sees it. He sees brightness all around. He falls on his face when he sees God speaking. There's example after example after example. It's amazing. It's incredible. It sets God apart. It shows his glory in a very profound way. And the last way that I want to highlight today is, is this idea of God's love, God's loving presence. So we have God's holy presence and we have God's loving presence. And we see this same thing throughout the scriptures and specifically in the person of Jesus. We see the, the love of God, right? For God so loved the world, for God so, uh, that he came. Jesus humbles himself and becomes obedient to the cross. He leaves the riches of heaven in order to enter into our humanity, into our world. And he goes all the way to the cross. And so we know the cross is where the justice of God and the holiness of God and the love of God are all intertwined. But the death of Jesus is this picture of God's glory shown through a God's self-giving love. Hear Jesus. The God of the universe. The God who created the whole world, the billions of stars, becomes a baby and then grows to be a man, lives in an utter disregard, an utter, uh, you know, like 30 years, no one even knew what Jesus was, I mean, what was he, what was he doing? An insignificance. And he, he loves us so deeply and he loves his people so much that he goes all the way to the cross, takes our place. And on the cross, the love of God bears the weight of evil and defeats it. And so as we look at the cross and we look at the resurrection and we look at the ascension, we see the ultimate display of God's glory, his incomprehensible love for us that while we were full sinners, while we were, we were running our own way, Jesus came and defeats sin and death and Satan, raises from the grave, and now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. So in this passage, and when the early church would recite this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and when we recite the prayer, we are saying at the end of it, yours is the glory, God. Yours is the praise. Yours is the power. Yours is the dominion. You're, you're, we're saying, God, we are here and we are ready to worship you. You deserve all of our trust. We want you to reign and rule 
in our lives. We want you to rule and reign in our church. We want you to rule and reign in our communities. And we want you to receive all the glory and all the worship and all the praise we can muster. Um, I remember the first time that like the, the gospel, like the good news of Jesus, for like the glory of God made sense to me. Um, I was sitting in, in church and I'm, I don't think that the message was in any way, you know, like that profound or that incredible. But I just remember being so gripped by like the Holy Spirit and the glory of God that I, I like literally like leapt over the pews, you know. Like just like I, I couldn't wait to get to the altar to be prayed for. And then when I, uh, you know, some people talk about calling in, in, in weird ways, but I was a senior in college and I had been pursuing a degree in, in business and um, I was driving 45 minutes each way to Fort Wayne, Indiana in order to uh, do this job in my last semester of college to get the final credits I needed to finish. And, and I had a job offer waiting for me to start working right after I finished. And my sister had bought me CDs because we didn't have, uh, you know, iPads or iPods or, you know, anything like that. And so she brought me these CDs of sermons, and one of them was on, uh, on the glory of God. Like, no joke, this was, this was the, the message. And I remember hearing a, the, the, the person talk about the glory of God and having to pull over on the side of the road and feeling like in that moment that God was saying, whatever you think that you're going to do in your life, you're going to do something entirely different. And as like a 22-year-old who thought he was pretty tough and had it all figured out, I, I truly remember like weeping about, not like what God was asking me to do, but about this, like the, the privilege of following Jesus, the privilege of offering myself to God to do whatever God wanted to do. Like it was like this like reoccurring thing of saying, God, like God was asking, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you do whatever I ask you to do? And when we get a picture of the glory of God, as we see in the, the splendor of God and the holiness of God and the love of God, it's irresistible. And so my, my hope is, is that through this series, we have been people that we see the glory of God and that when we pray things like hallowed be your name and your kingdom come and your will be done and when he talks about giving us the basic needs for our day and forgiving our, our debts as we forgive others and learning about how to, to, to resist evil in our lives that, that the culmination of it is exactly what this says is that we're doing this because yours is the kingdom, God, because you are the king, because you are the one with all power in our lives and because you are the one that is full of glory and it radiates all across the world. And so I just, I just say like as we, as we respond in worship today, can we sing and can we praise the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one true God, the one that deserves all of the glory in our lives? Can we do that today?